best thing about being in business isn't the money. It's about how you have to change and improve in order for your business to improve. Owning a business as a practice, almost like a spiritual practice, to improve myself because I had to do it for the next phase of what the business needed to do. Gave me the incentive to say, okay, you need more discipline here. You need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this, and change myself internally for the sake of the business. It was tough. But you just turn out as a completely different person with more patience and kindness and understanding for other people and the ability to help other people. This week in Tucson Foodie, we talked to Manish Shah, the owner of national brand Maya Tea, the founder of Heirloom Farmers Market, and Tucson Tea Shop Transit Tea. I'm your host, Fun Fun Ye. Manish has been focused on bringing delicious things to our community through the kingdom of plants for 26 years. We talked to him about his journey in building these businesses, how his own personal growth and hardships helped him cultivate a work culture that is symbiotic to the community, redefining the American tea experience as an Indian immigrant, and his vision for the future of tea. We begin at the very start of his story. After I came out of college, I was in marketing. One of the things that I did when I was doing the marketing was help run events. And I got an opportunity to run a farmer's markets for just a very short period of time. And I learned the business, walked away, was still doing marketing, did not enjoy it. Wanted to find out something that I could market. This was back in 95, 96. And at the time, I only knew how to make one thing in the kitchen, and that was chai. I wasn't a very good cook or anything. I used to make chai for my parents. They were hardworking, and I would help them by making chai. And so I started making it. And because I knew the farmer's markets, I went and started selling them at the farmer's market on a little four foot table, selling packages of chai in 20 count tea bag stand up pouches. And that's how I got started. And that took off. And then people asked, started asking me about bringing in other teas. And I brought them in and started to sell those. And then I lost my job after 9 11. The, the market changed and I decided to go full throttle into the tea business. And pretty soon we started doing food service, iced tea for local restaurants. And we became famous locally by serving these great iced teas at a lot of restaurants. And then in 2004, somebody approached us with making chai in concentrates, which is kind of what you see here. And we started then going on the national scene, teaching about tea, teaching about chai. During that time, around 2002, I also was asked to direct the farmer's markets. I did that for almost 10 years. And then after 10 years, it just made sense to turn it into a nonprofit. So in 2013, we became a nonprofit. So Heirloom Farmer's Market today is now a nonprofit serving the community. And then the tea business has just grown every year and we've kept doing it. And then in 2021, we launched Transit Tea, which is our local tea shop. And so everything's going really good, and we're just hoping to keep this train rolling. This is all so impressive, and you've obviously built something that people dream of building. And I'm wondering about your upbringing. How have maybe your parents' expectations contributed to shaping this journey? So both my parents are from India. I was actually born in India, and we moved here in 72 when I was not quite two years old. And we lived in New York City, and my mom didn't speak English, and my dad was a CPA. He was an accountant. 
So he was a finance guy. So he was always rigged for business. And then when we moved to Tucson, we moved to Tucson because my dad bought a business. He bought a motel here. And his trajectory was to continue to invest. So he was not so much an entrepreneur, but he was an investor. So he'd invest in real estate and in the stock market. And growing up, like other households have like Sports Illustrated or I don't know what magazines people would have, Reader's Digest. We had Forbes and Fortune. And, and so I just grew up in this environment that was really always talking about business and entrepreneurship and money and stuff like that. So I grew up around that. My parents were really hardworking people, very strict, very disciplined, very demanding, very critical. So I played in a very tight space and I got used to that. And then my mom is a tremendous cook. She does magic in the kitchen. And so there's this side from my dad that is really entrepreneurial. And then there's this side from my mom around food is love. And my journey has really been around taking both of those sides and turning it and unifying it in a way that's really beautiful. And so today I hope we make things that elevate people that they love, but still run a really good business that takes care of its employees and its clients and its suppliers and the community. And so the difficulty of being in that space between two polar opposites and a very strict family ultimately led me to an interesting crossroads with a tremendous amount of self-discipline because you had to do that growing up. I think finding yourself as a product of these opposites is quite a beautiful metaphor for what you do because you put together all these different flavors and spices to build your products. So in a sense, that tension between the two really helped to define your business. Would you say that's correct? I think it's not. It's more than just being a product around two different things. It's also growing up in the Southwest and all of the flavors that came from here. And just growing up in New York and all the flavors from there. And the beauty of growing up in this country, and it may be not like that as much anymore, but I hope we still are, is we cross-communicate, right? So I had Jewish folks who babysat me, right? Or Mexican grandmas who would help my mom at the motel. Or we just had, you just have the community and you get to try things and taste their food and learn about it. And my mom doesn't just cook Indian food. She cooks everything really well. And growing up around the multiculturalism and seeing that side of it and getting this really broad piece around flavors and aromas and ingredients and everything else, it's just, it's been awesome, honestly. It's been great. No, it's funny, you just tell that. I didn't realize that's what's in the spice line. That whole, t but because I'm going five spice shortly, masala. Berbere is Ethiopian, Greek. I haven't done anything Mexican yet. There's just no end. I didn't even think about that until just now. It's mostly just my own ADHD, right? Around flavor. I just love flavor. He who controls the spice controls the universe. That's a line from a movie. I think it's June. Spice in that movie was like the word for the essence of a thing. And yeah, isn't a spicy life awesome? super flavorful, super adventurous. It's got such variety. Yeah, I think it's lovely. I think that's still such a beautiful thing for what you're doing and everything that encapsulates you. 
And I like to argue that this intermingling of spices is actually fundamentally American. It is. And the notion of spices intermingled, right? In Indian, it's called masalas. A masala is any blend of spices. It doesn't have to be a singular one, right? And what set my chai apart at the very beginning was my masala mix. It was my mix of spices to make the chai taste the way it did. And to this day, we just keep mixing things together that hopefully taste good, that make you feel good, and that's never stopped. So maybe that's a really cool adventure that I get to still participate in. Can you talk about that, how that masala kind of plays into your business? Sure. From a business standpoint around mixing and blending, we might be talking about people, right? There's any number of important things like aces in their places. What's your strength? What are your weaknesses? How do we take those weaknesses and either remove them or help them or put them away and accentuate your strength, which oftentimes helps reduce the weaknesses anyway, and finding where people can thrive. And not every role is perfect, right? Not every role is ideal. And trying to get aces in their places. Sometimes we hire people and where they ended up after a couple of years isn't anywhere close to what they got hired for in the first place, right? Everybody finds their, finds their lily pad or they find their way. And then you keep getting those aces in their places. And when you have them, you can run faster because you have this whole team who's got, who knows what their instrument is. They know what song they need to play. They know what to do and you can just go. So finding great people has been a, uh, it's been a challenge, but when you get them, it's outstanding. The things you can do just become exponential. How did you find that in yourself? Because it's got to start with you, right? To start making chai, did you imagine having this big of an empire? And how did you get through all the hardship that you had to being a person of color at a time that was a lot harder than it is now? Yeah, I guess my answer to that is... First, I'm not sure that I would consider what I've got an empire, but it's good. I, I think I've done well. I think I would answer that in two separate ways. One, I don't know I ever, I really ever had a choice. And the struggles were hard. There's no question they were really difficult, but none of them were ever fatal. So as long as they weren't fatal, there was a chance out. And it was my job to figure out how to get out or get to that next level or get to the next thing, right? And so that's, it's always been there. And along the way, I wasn't alone. I had people with me, either staff or outsiders or suppliers. Like, like it, it was a team effort in getting through the eye of the needle. That's, so that was so, there was something there that I just never had the opportunity to fully fail. So that's the first thing. And persistence is important around that, right? Like I didn't give up. I wasn't going to give up but I was never handed failure. So that was the first thing. The second thing though, is really early on in my business career, I read a magazine article that said the best thing about being in business isn't the money. It's about how you have to change and improve in order for your business to improve. So even though I never envisioned what would happen today, I knew that I could take entrepreneurship and the fact of owning a business as a practice, almost like a spiritual practice, to improve myself 
because I had to do it for the next phase of what the business needed to do. And it gave me the incentive to say, okay, you need more discipline here. You need to do this. You need to do this. You need to do this and change myself internally for the sake of the business. And knowing that the payoff was both business and personal, like I got a payoff, like if ever, if it just stopped now and this didn't do anything, I could look back and go, you know what? You're so much better a person for having gone through all of those challenges. And those challenges came straight through the business. There were personal challenges, of course, also, but they came, this place handed me more than most anybody should have to go through. So yeah, it was tough. But you just turn out as a completely different person with more patience and kindness and understanding for other people and the ability to help other people is pretty cool. So right before the pandemic, we had to part ways with another company that we did business with. And that was deeply unpleasant. That was probably the worst time. There were some real challenges there. And it was a deep amount of stress for not just me, but for my team. But in coming out of that, we found a new rhythm. We found strengths about each other. We found ideas percolating that even after the end of that episode have reverberated the sort of the ripples in the pond, if you will. It set the stage for so much more here that we're doing now than had I stayed in that relationship or that space with this other company. Getting away gave us so much, but it was so painful. And I think that those of us who have some of that, when you talk about like romantic relationships, sometimes you leave one and it was fine for whatever it was, but then it wasn't fine. And then you leave or you part ways and it's really painful, but then you find a new way of yourself and about yourself. That happened on a galactic scale because it happened to the whole team. It happened to an entire company. And time and time again, we've experienced things of that nature. At the farmer's market, we had a similar parting of ways with a site and it led us to where we are today. And then it gave us the fuel and the enthusiasm and the background to turn it into five new farmer's markets and all of that. It was, oh yeah, it's always, every problem is an opportunity. So every challenge gives you the seeds for growth in the next phase. So what's growing from that now? This, this is my like last hurrah, so to speak, right? Like I've got about another five years plus or minus left, maybe more, but if I'm having fun, but this is it, right? I have built a tremendous foundation. It's beautiful, I feel. I'm so proud of it. If, and if I never went anywhere from here, I would be totally happy. This is great. This is okay to just this be it. But what's left is this opportunity. What can I do? But I'm not even sure that I'm doing it for me. I'm doing it just because I can. And in doing that, what can we do for others? What can I do for other people, other communities? At this point, it's just for sport, for fun. And there's a t-shirt on the outside of my office door that says, unleash the Manish. And on the outside, I feel like I've reached a place where I finally can be unleashed, right? And I've done the work. I know the drill. I know what I need to know. And I get to play with other people who also are unleashed and go, let's go, let's go, let's do this thing, right? And see what happens.
That must feel so good and gratifying. It feels good, gratifying, and deeply terrifying at the same time. It's all wrapped up. It's a big burrito full of all kinds of things because it's great because you know the journey. But then it would be super easy to just sit there and go, you know what? I'm good. I don't need to go further. Just relax. But no, I, it's not. It would leave something on the table that has nothing to do with me, that has more to do with creation itself and life itself. We are going to take a short break here and talk about community. Did you know that the biggest difference in leading a happy and healthy life are the warmth and quality of relationships with other people? Well, lucky for you, we are inviting all food and beverage lovers in the Southwest to join our Tucson Foodie community. When you join us, you'll be scoring some of the amazing member benefits like free dinners and meeting fellow foodies. You'll also be helping to keep our content paywall and pop-up free so that you can continue to read about all the wonderful news and events that are happening in our city of gastronomy. So join us at tucsonfoodie.com backslash join. And we are back with Manish Shah. When you have this kind of passion and determination for everything that you've worked towards, how do you determine when to stop and when to start new things? First, I don't think you ever stop. You just switch. You just change gears. I already know what I want to do when I'm done with this. I'd like to get into coaching, business coaching, and helping baby businesses move to becoming bigger businesses. I have this dream of restoring old trucks that I want to just work on cars and do this and that. I think I'll know when I'm done because it won't be fun as much fun anymore, or maybe it will be, or maybe it's time for the next gen behind me to take over. And me being there is just impeding their growth. I think that'll be probably the most salient thing where when I see the next generation or my team being like, I think they'll tell me, frankly, they'll be like, dude, it's time for you to go. And I'm like, all right, fine. And I think that it'll be abundantly obvious, but I think I'll be, I'll know when it's not as much fun anymore and it's just time. Are most of the decisions you make instinctual? Yes, very intuitive. Yeah, it's a lot of reading the tea leaves, if you will, instinctual, just like watching things move around. So the decision-making is that way. You feel your way through it. And I think the best answer to that question is coming to a place where whatever that next step is feels happier than what I'm doing now. I'll know to do that and then just move on from there. Earlier you said not anything you think of tea is transit tea and that you are breaking the conventions of tea. Can you tell us more about that and what you mean by that? A lot of tea shops, are not only just tea shops, but any concept, is built on something somebody else has already done. So in the world of tea, if you're building a tea house, you might build an Asian-style tea house, which is how they have tea in Asia. And it has a certain zen about it, it has a certain way. So they're taking something that was built and transplanting it and putting it here. An English or European-style tea room, they're taking that and putting it here. Boba coming from Indonesia and some of the islands, right? And that spreads and taking that from there and putting it here. 
What about something from here? How about something from here, right? This doesn't exist anywhere. And what does an American style tea room look like? You see what I'm saying? And it's not rooted in anything other than somebody who's been in the tea business in America for 26 years who doesn't have to answer to anybody and knows about the process of making and brewing and manufacturing and creating tea and spices and saying, okay, cut it loose, cut it loose. What do Americans love? And how do I, would I take what Americans love, what we love and put tea and connect the, and bridge the gap. That's really what transit is. And do it in a way that's very American, which is open and fun and a little energetic. I remember when I was thinking about the business plan and everything else, I was listening to Roy Orbison and Elvis Presley and the 50s and the 60s American music and saying, okay, listen to that energy, the 70s and what's there and how do I take those sounds and take some of that language and whatnot and build it into transit. Basically, it's like a giant mixtape for tea. It's just, it's there. Just take it, do what you want with it and go, right? And take it with you and live, feel better. So that's the origin story of transit. I also think there's a secondary piece to it because what does America mean to me as an immigrant family, right? And to come here with nothing and to have this place and this these people in this soil lift you. In, in India, people are not like that. It's very, everybody, it's very competitive and it's competitive for resources and people push you down. Here, people lift you up. And that is part of the spirit of transit is how do we lift each other up? How do we lift each other up individually together, us to our customers? How do we lift each other up, our employees to each other? and the community as well, and just be like, no, that's what America is all about, right? Like the rising of things. And so beyond just the drinks, it's also the ethos and the culture, right? And be like, no, let's elevate. And that's why it's a hot air balloon. Yes, that's why the Transit T logo is a hot air balloon. That's brilliant. Do you feel like it's also breaking the conventions of what an immigrant from India looks like too? You're an Indian guy who does tea, and that's a trope, right? No, so I think that's so interesting. So there's a couple of stories around this that I think are really funny. Of course, the convention and the expectation, the stereotype, is that I was going to become a doctor, an engineer, maybe own a 7-Eleven or a gas station, right? Or a Hope Motel, which my parents did, and follow this certain path. Maybe be a lawyer. My parents were mortified when I said that I wanted to make chai. They were like, what? You're going to be a chaiwala, right? Like that just, that didn't compute. And I don't know what I was thinking, honestly. Like I should have been terrified, but I was like, no, I think this is really cool. So my intention was never to break that. What turns out to be funny now is the Prime Minister of India, Narendra Modi, was a chaiwala. And so now in India, when I talk about the fact that I make chai, oh, just like the Prime Minister. And I thought, well, that wasn't cool in 97. But rather than worry about the tropes or the expectations or the stereotypes of 
being Indian, I would rather use the time and the energy to be more focused on you get to do whatever you want to do. You just have to put in the work. You just have to put in the work and you just have to improve yourself. But if you choose, there are no limitations as to what you want to do. And I don't know what success would have looked like in some of those other fields. Could have been successful. I'm not sure I could have been happier. So if we add the happiness piece on top of that, now this was a this was, whether I chose it or not, it was a really good path. Yeah. Going back to the theme of uplifting, can you talk about how the community lifted you up and how now you're paying it back? Sure. So as far as the Tucson community, the way that the Tucson community really helped was in my early years, going to the farmer's market and these people that supported me and bought my tea and did it regularly, some of which still buy it, even 27 years and they still buy the same tea that they bought 27 years ago and that continuation and then the restaurant community embracing me in the early 2000s and letting me do their iced tea and their tea programs and then when I got the chai the coffee shops coming in saying no we want to be a part of what you're doing and giving me a basis to call home and then at the farmers markets and actually creating those and the support and the love that came with that as well and how beloved they became. It really showed me the power of that community. And today, when I turn it around, transit is just getting to a place where it can start to do that, right? It was an infant business. As an infant, it, it needs to be fed. But we were lucky that it didn't need to be fed exactly by the community. It had a big brother or it had a parent to take care of it while it reached its stages. And now it's getting stronger, it's getting the better known. It can start to take what's really great about it and expand its impact. And I actually look forward to the kind of things that I can do. To be truthful, the impact that transit is on the community is only kind of like being really cool to my employees and really doing a good job for my patrons, right? Like, people coming in and having a cool drink and feeling really good about themselves, that's really great. But to have that now grow out exponentially and ripple out and do even more, those chapters are still unwritten. So I'm excited to see what once you cut it loose. I've interviewed quite a handful of people that have businesses here within the food industry, and they all say this thing about how special our community is and how everyone comes together to help you, whether they know you or not, and I've actually experienced that myself. And it's such a beautiful and unique thing. What do you think it is about Tucson? Oh, yeah. First of all, it's hard here. I think it's really hard to have a business here. I, if I had put transit in another city, it probably would have been more successful sooner. Yeah. But I live here and Tucson's been good to me. And so there is something about our community. Maybe it's the heat. Maybe it's any number of things. But there's just, there is something here about a bonding and a communalness that is unique and it's not as cutthroat and it is more collaborative. And I think we, it's not so big so that 
you know each other. I know these, this person. And if you've been here long enough, you learn to use that to your advantage and your disadvantage. Don't do something silly because your reputation will get ruined quickly because people talk. But at the same time, like being a part of something meaningful, you find out who the good ones are and they, then they huddle together and they help each other because it, it's just that way. I think we're just small enough that there's not a lot of outside help. It's just on us at this moment until we're not. And then when the outside help comes, let's see what happens. It'll be good. How did you tap into that outside help? The outside help for me came in the form of clients who were like, no, what you're doing is really cool. And sometimes there's this reverse thing. And I know we talked about the community helping each other, but sometimes there's also another vibration here in Tucson is that, oh, you're from Tucson? No. Like we are our own worst critic sometimes. Whereas when I go out and I speak or I teach or I talk to people like, oh, you're from Tucson? Oh my God, that place is so cool. Everybody else around the country has a different view of Tucson. And I think it goes back to what I talked about earlier. I think this country has a bit of this, right? That we help each other. I think we've gotten our, we've lost our way just a little bit from helping each other like we used to. I'd really like to see that come back, right? Cause that's what made us stronger to be less divisive and more united. But that's where the help came from. The help came from companies bigger than myself. They were like, nope, we think what you're doing is amazing. Let's, let's use your products and you can grow with us. And we did, and we're so blessed to have that. I know you have a lot of new things in the works. Can you tell us what we should be excited for? So the, we have three new things in the works. One of course is transit tea, and that's really the big one for me. That's a that's something I really want to focus on because I think it has a lot of potential to do amazing things and do a lot of good for a lot of people. So that's the first thing. We also have two B2C business to consumer brands. During the pandemic, I wanted to diversify because the vast majority of my business is business to business. We serve wholesale food service clients. I don't actually get to talk to customers directly. I get to talk to the shop owners and the other owners of businesses. That's what I do. But building a B2C brand is so different. And so now it's the challenge of building a B2C brand, but also to create that retail experience. So I'm doing it retail on one side and I'm doing it digitally on the other. And the last two brands are a savory tea that is adaptogens, salt, and spices mixed together in a pyramid tea bag that just makes you feel amazing, but it's savory. It's not sweet and it's got all these cool spices going on in the background. And that I think is gonna be amazing. I love it. It tastes great and it tests beautifully. And then we have something that I feel like is really necessary. We're doing a non-alcoholic spirit line. So it's basically, it tastes like spirits. We have the plant kingdom to pull from for the flavor profiles and makes you feel spirited. Because again, we have the plant kingdom when we can pull all of the nootropics and all of the things that exist naturally and their impact that it has on the body. And is it a perfect taste profile as compared to alcohol? No. Is it a perfect match to the feeling of alcohol? No. But if we can do close enough for both, maybe we can do even better. Maybe it can be even better than alcohol. It's not meant to taste. It's meant to be something you could make in cocktails, but that 
is even the next level. So yeah, something that's like an alcohol replacement, but not a one-to-one. -one. Can you explain what nootropics are? Sure. Nootropics is a, just a broad category, is anything that kind of makes your brain feel different, right? And so a nootropic could be something that makes you feel sleepy, that makes you feel happy, that makes you feel any number of things, right? And we know a bunch of them that exist, serotonin, makes you feel happy and all of these other things. And there's things that you can put in the brain that help create that. A good example is melatonin to go to sleep, right? Or caffeine to feel better, L-theanine. And so there are all these, there's a bunch of them and they just do all different kinds of things, right? And I know that the world is really chasing down the road of a CBD or THC from the cannabis side, but there's still so much other, right? And so leaving those two aside, but bringing it into what's really there already, you can create really beautiful feelings of energy and elation and intimacy and connection with other things that sort of set the tone. And then if I think you can put them in a space of a hotel bar or, or a restaurant where there's other things happening that complement the effect and the flavor to the environment, then I think we've achieved something. That's a great reason to drink tea, right? Because it can evoke such a wide range of feelings. Yeah. And I think it's different than coffee, right? So coffee is just one thing, right? It's just one bean. But tea is the rest of the plant kingdom. It's the rest of the plant kingdom. And so it's, okay, this is just one thing. It's, it's just like one drum. And the, there's so many other instruments and so much else around the world, right? And so there's so much to pull from. And we don't know them all. And so there's so much still left untapped that we're still just discovering. And so the world of tea does afford me the luxury of bringing in so many other things and creating all of these things. It's just, the possibilities are endless. And you're also playing with adaptogens. Can you explain how those work? Oh, what's in the adaptogens? Yeah, so the blend of adaptogens, adaptogens as a rule of thumb, are anything that sort of helps your body regain balance. So adaptogens do different things. Some are energizing, some are the relaxing, they work on different systems of the body. But as a general rule of thumb, if you are feeling X, it helps you feel Y. It helps you balance yourself out. And so we've used a combination of adaptogens in the savory tea line. Um, and we have the same adaptogen blend over at Transit. Makes you feel amazing. But it's in the tea bags. And that's ashwagandha, eulithero root, which is Siberian ginseng. We have passion flower, And we have tulsi, which is Indian holy basil. We put those four together. And I found this mix that tastes really good, but that also makes you feel good. But there's no caffeine in it. So it gives you a lift and relaxes you, so it opens the channels up, right? Tea can take you to a different world for sure, and you get to pick. You get to pick your adventure. I think that's the world. So that's the way we look at transit, right? So choose your own adventure. You, it's not just a one-trick pony. You can do a lot of different things with tea, and we do at transit. And so, yeah, you get to pick, right? And isn't that so American? Like, you get to pick. You're free. You get to pick. So go have fun. Let's do this thing. With everything that you're tapping into, including the innovative way that you're approaching tea within the plant kingdom, how do you see the future of tea? And how do you think it will transform the future of the food and beverage industry and the population in general? Sure. Okay. 
So we just talked about T being the rest of the plant kingdom. And when we talk about the rest of the plant kingdom, we're talking about the goodness of the plant kingdom, right? T is just one methodology. It's putting leaves or putting plants in hot water to get their benefits. That's really the bottom line when we get down to it. Expanding our knowledge of tea is basically expanding our knowledge of the benefit of what the plant kingdom can provide for your health and well-being. Okay? I think some of that is happening on the food side as well. We're not just talking about food for flavor. We're also talking about food as good medicine, right? So now all of a sudden this convergence of food and beverage as not only flavor, but feeling and well-being and getting away from some of the things that are toxic, that are processed, that are perhaps not as good for you. And seeing a planet or a population or a community that says, no, I am rooted. I am rooted in my food. I am rooted in my plants. I'm rooted in my drinks. And what does that do for me? And how do I pass that along? The future of the global knowledge base of all of the systems of botany and plant medicine and all of that coming together in some unified form and then talking about it and then making really cool things with it. We're just at the very, we're just getting started, but it's gonna be tremendous to see what the techniques and things that we do with plants in the next upcoming generations. I, it's, I don't know, the, potentials are, the potential is enormous. That was Manish Shah, owner of Maya Tea, Transit Tea, and founder of Heirloom Farmers Market. And this is This Week in Tucson Foodie. I'm your host, Fun Fun Ye, and this episode was mastered by Dalton Voss. We want to thank you for listening to the show and would appreciate it if you could leave a review, subscribe to our channel, and also share this episode. We would also like to let you in on a little secret. For a limited time, there will be a Tucson Foodie Tea Snow available exclusively at Transit Tea here in Tucson. And we hope to see you there.